Welcome everybody. This is Michelle Hayward. I am here with one of my good friends. Actually, we met over 10 years ago when we both were living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Today, we are talking about why economic equity is social justice. So I have with me David Hopkins, who is the CEO, um, the CEO and the president of the Urban League of Greater Hartford, Connecticut. I don't want y'all to get that confused. Um, and David has a great uh, career path, so an experience. So I just want to talk about that a bit. He was the CEO of a community health center in Pittsburgh. He also operated an independent community redevelopment consultancy. And, and prior to that, this is when I met him, he had a 10-year career with PNC Bank. Um, and then he was a VP and he did all of the, he loved what he did. And I was like, dude, what do you do? And he told me one day, because I, I was like, I don't know what you do. You're in baking, right? But outside of that, I'm here in South Carolina. But David actually earned his bachelor's degree from Guilford College, which is in Greensboro, North Carolina. So he's not a Southerner, but he understands the Southern-ness from, from going to college here. And he also has his MBA from Wharton Business School at the University of Pennsylvania. But what I really love about David, besides all of that, besides him being a great person, he's a candidate at Point Park University, where his research area focuses on, guess what? Hiring, retention, and promotion of African-American males to senior management positions. Sounds kind of familiar, right? <laughs> So, David, it is great to see you. Um, great to have you on because, as always, um, I, I know who you are. We, we worked together on National Black NBA back in the day. But this topic is really important in so many different levels. So I'm going to let you just uh, tell anything I left out in your bio that you want to let the viewers know. No, thank you, Michelle. It's, uh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, as, as your viewers probably know, that Michelle has a very um, convincing and, and um, compelling way of inviting you to do something. So you, you already know that the answer is going to be yes. You just got to figure out what you're going to be doing. Um, but you know that it's always something to um, strengthen and improve um, culture, society, and an opportunity for people. And so I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing here with Positive Hire. And it's funny too, as you as you mentioned that um, this this this, uh, this work that you're in um, kind of brought us full circle back again together because we worked together, like you said, some 10 years ago uh, with the National Black MBA Association. And um, we, we share a number of common uh, interests and, and goals and, and um, and uh, so it's neat to be here and be a part of this conversation today. Yeah. Great. Okay. So now you're over at the Urban League. You come, you're coming in with all of this experience, right? Yeah. You've been in corporate because even before PNC, you were at what, Capital One? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have this huge financial background. You did your own business. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what's interesting is I think, um, and this probably just kind of jumps right into our, our conversation though, but I think I started on a career path that 
um, was going to check a number of boxes that I thought would be checked for a person with a bachelor's degree and an MBA. And, um, and, and so that path did check some boxes and it put me on a career that put me into banking and put me into spaces. It was funny. Um, my wife and I were watching uh, a movie last. Oh, we were watching the movie Philadelphia, which was uh, from, I think, the, the early 90s or something like that. And we were watching it and just marveled at, like, this is a movie, like the cars and the suits and the overcoats and the briefcases. Like, that was really what how people rolled back in that time. It wasn't restaged and reset and costume design and everything for, for that era. And that's kind of the era that I came into, came out of college and into. And so I had this aspiration of being part of this corporate culture that uh, for whatever reason, always felt like a, 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 an oval peg trying to fit into a circle hole. And because um, there were elements of it that I thought fit, you know, I'm not, you know, an entrepreneur, the guy who wants to walk around in flip flops and, you know, head on backwards and making making money moves over, you know, some some device means. Um, and and I'm not, you know, really a, a, a hard labor or, or blue collar type guy. I don't have a whole lot of skills with my hands and such. And so the corporate space is something that that, that I, I, I think fit me. But uh, for whatever reason, it was still just not quite the, the, the suit just kind of didn't always fit. And so I always wrestled with what it was about my uh, approach and desires to be in this space and what the space, you know, welcomed or offered to me. And, and there was this constant tension uh, within that. And even after obtaining my MBA and going into, uh, you know, what would seem to be a really um, opportunistic space, as you mentioned, when after going through a, um, the, the classic um, executive management development program, uh, following your, your business uh, school experience and going into a corporate job. Um, you know, I landed in uh, community development banking, which was something that I found to be, as you said, the perfect job because I was able to be a banker and work almost uh, always with people of color, communities of color, and um, and so the the products we were serving and and delivering and the people we were serving were people who uh, looked like me and had experiences that I had when I grew up in the projects of East Baltimore. So that job I thought was it couldn't get any better than that. But the corporate elements of it still created points of tension where there were um, biases that I saw or um, opportunities for whether it was promotion for others or, um, you know, my own career path feeling like there was limitations there. And, and then there was this also like um, persistent um, um, target uh, of, of, of um, uh, and I don't want to say, um, uh, I think it's just a, this consistent target that I, that I felt that I was in our microscope and you know, my my uh, uh, positives were not highlighted as much, and my shortcomings were much more, you know, magnified than others. And I couldn't quite figure it until one day, you know, I heard a great philosopher that all of us have quoted at some point in our lives, Chris Rock, in one of his uh, in one of his stand-up comedian uh, pre uh, shows, said that I I want the right to make a bad movie, right? I, I want to be able to make a bad movie and still be a superstar. Like, you know, so many other white 
characters and I think, or actors and entertainers. And I, I think that was the the thing that kind of blew the, 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 the light open for me that said, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. You know, when you're in this corporate space, particularly when you find your way to executive levels, you don't feel like you have the right to make a bad decision or to make a bad move or to make a bad deal. It becomes, you know, ultimately um, fatal for you in many respects. And I, I looked around at many of my peers and a lot of them had either found their way to settling into a job or role that was far less than their capabilities, or they were um, relegated to entrepreneurship, if you will, um, or they uh, went into the nonprofit sector, or something to that effect where they settled, for lack of a better word, and they were still doing well and still making you know impacts, but it was something about them as well as it was for me that said that you know this corporate space is not welcoming and it's not a place where we can thrive and and, and continue. And so when I started doing my um, doctoral studies and was figuring on what it was I wanted to um, to do my research in, another um, um, uh, kind of aha moment came to me that many of the people that I that were my peers in corporate America were were similar in personality type. There were variations of it, but essentially my point came to this, and hopefully your viewers can allow me this license. But um, the way it landed with me was um, the most uh, domesticated <laughs> of us, you know, found our way through the system. We, we, we managed the gauntlet. Um, and those who were my peers when I was in elementary school who were far more um, dynamic and uh, uh, abrasive and um, charismatic and flamboyant and um, uh, and self-assured. Those 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 guys didn't make, didn't make it through the gauntlet. They they were the ones who um, were were kind of uh, you know sent to the office, identified as troublemakers, um, and. And and you know, and I would sit in my you know corner and watch them, you know, demonstrate or what have you, but watch it be criminalized or villainized or what have you, and then I would just kind of keep on you know down my path, and and so I, I call it a gauntlet. And in my studies, I, I discovered uh, uh, the, um, this researcher named uh, Yuri Broffenbrenner, who created. Um, this ecological system theory, which looks at that exact thing as a socialization process that says that within your family, there's a ways that we are socialized. And then when you go from your family, it goes to the most immediate exterior, which is the microsystem, which is these, these groups of, 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 um, of systems, your, your peers and friends, church, uh, media systems, or um, you know, services that are that you have access to, and the degree to which those things um, uh, are at your disposal, and that you have uh, access to them, and that you can utilize them and deploy them, that shapes you in another way. And then it goes out to another level of um, you know what becomes the the, the meso system, which is the kind of transitioning of how um, you know other other um, um, parties collaborate or or coordinate um, and often even advocate for you to have access to the next level of things um, and that is in the exosystem and ultimately it gets out to um, 
these this macro system of ideals and ideologies and these and then and at that level is where you ultimately have made it through this gauntlet of of of, of barriers and 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 challenges and once you get to that to that end goal now you have this um, you've been accepted if you will and everybody can't make it through all those levels we often um, you know, I had a guy son who played basketball and he, he often talked about how he, he couldn't, he was afraid that he couldn't, um, you know, pass, uh, do well on the, on the standardized tests. And, um, and, and you, you know, that that's part of the process right before the NBA started expanding into this, um, uh, G league, I think it's called now, and they have another model. Uh, you had to go through through college in order to get to the NBA, but you know that in college we're not all the best um, basketball players. Some of those guys were still playing on the blacktop at Rucker Park or wherever, the dome in Baltimore. You know they were they were they were playing somewhere um, on on a blacktop and not at the highest level, if you will. And there's a and so there's this kind of um, weeding out that occurs. And and in that, you know, recognizing that uh, that those experiences then also come with some levels of baggage, and so part of the discovery too, and some of my research is then why do so many um, professionals of color gravitate to human resources roles and responsibilities, or you know, and community development type roles and responsibilities, uh, because we come from a place that we saw people get kicked out of systems and, and, and dropped off along the way in the process. And we want to try to somehow be able to advocate for those type of people or champion, uh, you know, for people who, who we know have some of the same aspirations that we have. And, 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 and we have a level of, of, of empathy for that. Um, and it's built in us through this ecological system. And so now you have a system that uh, kicks out, if you will, some of the more, you know, um, dynamic and rambunctious and and uh you know of, of us and and we have these people who are more um, cooperative and collaborative and such but then we're competing against other uh groups particularly let's say the uh, racial groups like white our white counterparts and the very opposite occurs the people who are more you know dynamic and demonstrative and whatever they get promoted for being that thing and that becomes our our our, our peer group but also our competition for opportunities and so we have these different personality types being promoted and presented with opportunities at if you will executive levels and then when we get there um the the layered on part of my research is maslow's um, um, hierarchical uh, theory, which says that we go through these these stages or layers of of of, of, um, of security. When it was, you know, uh, we get secure um, housing, food, and so forth, and we go all the way. And then the final stage in Maslow's hierarchy is self actualization. We call it in uh, Kwanzaa, you know, Kuchakalia, right? So it's this place where we get to name ourselves and call for ourselves and speak for ourselves. And we realize who we are. And so you make it through this system. You realize all the things you sacrifice, all the things you compromise, all, all the things you, you've, uh, you, you've kind of pursued and the people who fell off along the way. And you get to this place and you finally get to the place where you want to claim yourself or reclaim yourself, if you will. You have the title, you have the money, you have the power, so to speak. But then when you reclaim yourself as a person of color, 
somehow the system says, no, 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 no. Um, you know, you don't get to call that shot. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves kind of displaced again. And I think that's one of the challenges that comes with this whole thing. When we talk about, you know, Chris, Chris Rock's quote and, uh, and the fact of um, social justice being economic justice, it's about the money at hand or the opportunities at hand that ultimately get um, compromised for us along our way and then how we get kicked out of systems to make us really um, realize um, the, the true value of what we've accomplished. Um, so I can need to stop with another direction I want to go from there. I, I want to go back to something that you said, we are in HR and community development and not in other sectors of business. And what is the importance of us being in other areas? Like really, we're getting to that now, right? So let's let's dive into if we're in the, the tech space developing technology, if we're in the medical space developing new, because right now we're in a pandemic, right? So you're developing cures and, and different medicines or medicinals that are good for black and brown people, what, what is the impact really on the social economic side? Yeah, I think it's a great, yep, I think it's a great question. I think the impact is being able to develop um, models or control decisions or control product products, product development and models and, um, and being able to participate in the economy at the highest level. Um, so in other words, something um, as simple as, um, uh, this is probably not a good example, uh, uh, but it's one thing that just caught, always sticks with me. I was playing golf um, soon, somewhere around May, the end of May, um, just after kind of the country reopened, right? And um, just before, yeah, right around May or June. And I hadn't played golf for some time. And so I I was playing with a group of guys and we got to the green and went to putt in the hole. And so I went to pull the flag out because when you're putting, you know, you want the, the, the pin, the flag and the hole to be out so the ball can kind of go directly in. And I grabbed it. And uh, one of the guys said to me, man, you're not supposed to grab the pole. And I was like, what are you talking? He said, you're not supposed to take the flag out like that. And I said, what do you mean? How else do you take the flag out? And there was this little little hook at the bottom of the flag that you'd stick your club on it and you pick it up and you stick your club on it and you lift it up. And I was like, oh, that's neat. How long has that been around? That, that seems good. It's like, well, because of COVID, it was just created this kind of contraption of a little hook at the bottom of the thing. And I was like, who thinks of that? And how do, you know, people of color get to be able to create something that simple of a new nuance or a new thing uh, to be um, added to something that people do every day now, but, you know, needs to be um, um, created. Uh, I, I think that when we're excluded from those um, jobs where we control, um, again, budgets or we um, control um, even uh, um, uh, say lines of business is the way it was called, you know, uh, may still be referred to. You have to run a line of business because ultimately you control a profit center. And when you control a profit center, then you have more influence and more say, and it makes a difference. So, you know, when you, when, when we um, talk about minorities and mentoring up and coming or, uh, you know, helping people transition in whatever way, um, they often say that you need a, a minority or person of color uh, helping you. 
and and a and a, a, a white majority, if you will. One because the person of color can usually empathize with you. They may be able to make help you with your networks, but more times than not, they can't help you get more money or get hired because they are not controlling the hiring decision. That's usually controlled by someone who runs a, pro a profit center or a business, a line of business. That person is usually controlling the the the, the, the that decision. And so the the model is if you have a, a white person, if you will, in your network, that person can help you get more money or get hired or get promoted. The black person can only help you complain, <laughs> so to speak. And so that's part of the difference there. Um, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's the, the power dynamics are really, really important, um, which is one reason why I, uh, I'm, I'm like you, I'm focused on the executive level where there is the ability to drive the change from the top down. But again, like you said, you still have to have white counterparts who are on board with this change as well. And so that that has to be across you know, from the top down and across the organization as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and then you know, um, you know, one of the shifts in this that I was going to also is around this you know equity piece and the social equity and social justice piece is that um, you know in my role now as president and CEO of the Urban League, um, in this time where you see a number of people facing their own um ethical um if you will and perhaps moral uh um, challenges personally and professionally you know the urban league is being contacted by a number of organizations to say hey how can we help what can we do to help in your cause for ad addressing you know police brutality or social injustices um or, or or racial equity and more times than not, that inquiry is really people saying, you know, how can we send our employees over there to volunteer to help you paint the street, Black Lives Matter in the street? My response is, you can help us by assessing your own, recruiting, hiring, <laughs> retention and promotion and pay equity strategies. And that's where the DEI piece comes in. And that's where we want to try to hopefully play a better place, uh, uh, play a more um, relevant role. And we say we can help you with that. We don't really need you to come and volunteer to help our kids, you know, get uh, get ready for their college tours, so to speak, or whatever it is. Those things are helpful. Don't get me wrong; those things are valuable, um, and we appreciate the, the 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 generosity that people come with us to us with money and such. But most corporations, you know, the challenge is to say that you yeah, you can impact social injustice by addressing economic equity. And that's by these, again, recruiting, hiring, retention, promotion, and pay practices. I absolutely agree. Um, whenever I talk to organizations, and I had a great conversation actually this morning, and it was it was focused around um, companies that, that they this particular company didn't make a, an external announcement about what they were going to do. They're like, we have work to do internally. What we need, to, what we gonna tell the world externally? We have our own work to do internally. And wow. I told them, and they understood, but they also, I, I explained, I said, well, some people are looking to see what are you doing? So they're looking for a public announcement to say, this is what you're doing externally, internally, because we are looking to see what yeah. that is. So it's, it's, I said, it's a pro and a con, but you have to do the internal work. 
Um, And again, and so as you're talking about, hey, you can donate for the college tour, so what is your plan then? And oftentimes, you know, I've been part of National Black MBA, National Society of Black Engineers, Society of Women Engineers, and you always see companies focus on entry level, but have no plan on how they're going to retain that talent. And that's truly key. And it's like, they'll rather pay hundreds of thousand dollars to keep bringing in entry level saying, hey, we don't have an inclusion problem. We don't have a culture issue as opposed to spending the time, effort and investment in creating a better culture. That way you retain that talent, you actually get more out of your investment over the long term because to bring, especially technical talent and technical talent with an MBA, yeah. <laughs> you have lost so much fundamentally. And and a lot of that goes back to what how or or, or systemic racism, right? And the value or lack of value they see in black and brown people being in their organizations. Yes. And the additional hoops we have to you have to do. So when I work with clients, specifically uh, underrepresented women, I explain to them you're going to be assessed on proof that you can do the work, not on the potential. I said, so what is that proof? And and remember, I'm working with analytical people. And and so we are looking at, uh, instead of, I have one client and she does great work. She's a process engineer. She's like, oh, I was able, instead of the system being down eight hours, um, where they would lose a million, it was down for two hours. So I say the company six six hours. said, no, you think the company $750,000. Right. I said, and she was like, what? Wait, I did. And so what is that economics? What is the revenue? What's the profit? And we literally have to talk in those numbers sometimes because the the research is already there. How diversity uh, among your your management and your team bring about more revenue. People still don't want to hire us. So it goes back to you literally internal to organizations having to do your own um, culture changes to make the, this matter. And it's literally, like you said, from the top down. And and that's where the change has to start and be sustained. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. I, I, I tend to um, make this point also though, that many of the corporations that are in existence now have crossed the 100 year mark. They've been around for 100 years or so. And I say to those corporations or to you know um, colleagues that uh, for all intents and purposes, they've proven or demonstrated or had experiences that they could be successful, very successful, without being a diverse organization. Shamefully so, of course, but 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 it's 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 hard to make the case other than from research that um, that the company can do better, even better if they were more diverse. And so that means that the company then has to be more intentional. And that takes the company to this zero sum game challenge that most people, particularly in power, um, privileged power, uh, are not equipped to handle. And that is to say that, okay, so if it's a hundred, I got to give up 30 or 40 in order for, um, for you to, to win or for you to participate and be a part of it. And many people aren't ready to sign up for that. And unfortunately, that's part of where the equity comes in. And then the and the the protests and the the the, the rallies and the outcries for um, you know why people of color and women are paid at a 30 to you know 
25 to 30, 20 to 20 to 30 cent discount to what white males are paid um, because as that's that's an inequitable proposition and um, you know people aren't willing to accept that or change from it um, and and that's what we have to keep pushing the envelope on you know I I, um, I was reflecting on John uh, congressman John Lewis's um, service and um, I think it was Mitch McConnell who was making some uh, kind of some commentary as he was being um, recognized in DC and Mitch McConnell. And we, we all have done this, right? I mean, it just happens. Mitch McConnell started talking about his humble beginnings and how he started off, uh, you know, preaching to the chickens and uh, parents were sharecroppers and oh, that's, that's awful. <laughs> like that is just awful. That's economic injustice if you've ever seen it before and yet we tend to kind of use it somehow or our society has been built that black people have to use it as a badge of honor even me i mentioned that i grew up in the projects in east baltimore right so that's my badge of honor but that is awful that is an awful way to start life and have to come from and too many times we 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 treat it as part of this um kind of uh, thing to to be proud of, and and, and hopefully follow the the juxtaposition I'm trying to create. That that is a, a, a representation of the structural social injustice that translates to economic in, inequity. And so um, you you look at the things that, like Chris Rock said, I'm a rich celebrity, and my neighbor is a doctor, right? <laughs> Right. And I say to myself, I, I know what I do to make to make my living. And I look around and, you know, like my neighbors, like, what do you how, what do they then it's the, the, the beginning that they started with versus that which we started with. And how do you how, the, the, the fight to create the level of equity and understand that there's these social dynamics do translate into economic issues? You know, you hear people say even um about the George Floyd incident or whatever, and say, you know, we don't need to politicize this. No, it's very much political. It's very much economic. You know, these things are are all inherent in these injustices. They 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 carry over into other areas. I absolutely agree, David. We could talk about this all day. Right. <laughs> we 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 live it, but we also teach it. And, and really help organizations move forward to making those changes. If, when you're talking to companies, like what are the, what are, just, just to wrap up, I don't wanna go into the what are three things, three actions they can take right now to really change the dynamics of what we're seeing as far as economic equality mm -hmm. um, within, and, and specifically within their organization like don't go out inside your organization what are three things they need like that actionable they can do right now yeah yeah but i think it's, it's part of um, a couple of things you know these 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 uh, affinity groups the ergs that you hear about the corporations it's a it's a it's a solution um that many companies have proposed and, and put into play and they've been in, around for you know 20 years plus but even today you know um um I know you have a wide audience and this, this is probably more public, so it's not all bad, but ESPN here in Connecticut, um, they uh, they were in the New York Times and they had um, some high profile employees like, like Stephen A. Smith speaking to the challenges that the black employees have there with being 
promoted. They get hired and they get excited to work for ESPN and ESPN, you know, kind of like a Texas box. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the ERGs aren't able to, to move the dial. And yeah. so the ERGs then aren't very effective. They might be effective again in connecting you to a mentor, connecting you to a, a job opportunity, getting you ready for that job opportunity. Yeah. And then still the decision gets made in another direction and you get hit with some bogus explanation like, you know, you didn't have enough sales experience when the job didn't even, you know, call for it. And so I think internally those pseudo um, um, uh, you know, structures that are, that are built to try to help support or improve the programs or improve the practices, they have to be, um, you know, kind of uh, reevaluated and assessed and perhaps even turned into something else, right? And I think that's one thing. I think a level of, um, uh, in, in, in including, um, if you will, a third party, uh, I think the Urban League, what we've been doing and trying to do is insert ourselves into these processes to some degree so that we can um, uh, help the the employees as well as the employer um, close these gaps and and address some of the inherent enmity because if a company recognizes or acknowledges that they aren't good at something or they know that they just have implicit bias and they can't honestly make a genuine um, decision on who to promote and and who to hire um, and who deserves more pay um, um, then somebody else needs to come in and help that decision. And and even the best intended HR people know they get paid by the company, so they're not willing to go but so far with it. And you have people of color at, at points of desperation. Again, you read the ESPN article and you, you hear them talking about people leaving the company because they just don't feel like they have an opportunity. And even senior members, um, people who have made to the senior level, telling other people, just go ahead and leave because it's not going to happen for yeah. you here. You know, that's that's not the way the corporations are going to win. Like you said, you can't um, uh, um, forego um, empowering your employees um, or just because of you know some of these historical practices. And I think the last thing is um, we often see that, um, and, and this is how it was for me and a couple of the companies I work for. This the same the executive, the senior most people, the people in the C suite. Many of them get it, and maybe it's because they, you know, reach the highest level. They buy into it, um, or maybe it's because they're removed from the hands-on, you know, uh, um, work of the business. But they're all in, and then the lower you fall in the organizational leadership, the 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 less people are willing to to make uh, those kind of moves. So it's the kind of thing where, you know. Um, I remember this kind of story. Used to tell us that people would say, you know, do you, um, do, do, you, do you do you think public schools are great? Yeah, I think they're a good thing about public school. Would you send your kid to a public school? No, I wouldn't. You know, something like that, right? And so it's like, do you think diversity is great? Absolutely. Do you have uh, people of color in your direct line of management? Uh, no, I don't. So I think that happens more often the lower level you get. So senior managers, middle managers, supervisors. Um, it somehow has to get trickled down to them. And in many cases, it has to be legislated. And you've heard this before about putting into their performance reviews, but yeah. then we don't know if that really works and we don't know how much they really do hold people accountable. But in some way, it has to get to the lower level of management. Absolutely, absolutely agree. It's that that black women middle management um, issue as well. And, and Thursday's black women's equal payday. So- Wow. 
and then you have Native American women, and then you have Latina. Equal, all have equal paydays, and so it's not. You said twenty to thirty percent. It's even worse than that. You're like fifty-four percent, depending what race you are of, of for women. So those are definitely great actionable steps. So if you're listening, you're watching this replay or live. Now you know what things you could do internal to your organization. David, thank you so much for joining me. Yes. I really enjoyed having you on today. We have to—I'm I, I, loving what you're working on because it's this, we're working on the same thing. So yes. we might have to collaborate some more on some some things. Absolutely. Um, so be sure you connect with uh, David here on LinkedIn. He would love to connect with you. Just send him a, a, a message. Say, hey, I saw your LinkedIn live. He'll know because it's the only one he's on. <laughs> But it's great to see you and talk with you. Everybody have a great week, and I will talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye.